So, yeah. so this success fallacy that people have that just because a cafe is exceptionally busy, that it is making money, it's generating a lot of revenue. A lot of cafes do generate well, a lot of revenue, but that doesn't equate. It's so expensive to run these businesses that it doesn't equate to profit very often at yeah. all. Tell me, at the beginning of specialty coffee, did was it like this? In your in your opinion, uh, very much so. <laughs> Welcome to the Daily Coffee Pro by Mapper Ford, friends. I'm your host, Lee Safar, and this is episode two of a five-part series with Tim Wendebo, our second episode for 2024. And we are talking about the evolving specialty coffee market. And in this episode, Tim, we're going to ask the question why this shift is occurring. Now, we coming into 2024 are entering a very interesting time on a lot of levels of specialty yeah. coffee of coffee in general but from an agricultural perspective from a supply chain perspective from a business perspective from an economic perspective from a finance perspective from a labor perspective there's a lot of things that have happened over the last let's say five years that have put a bunch of pressure on all of those different layers what what in your mind is causing the majority of the shifting that's causing this idea of specialty coffee to evolve? Well, uh, where to start? I think um, when when I started working in, in the, the coffee world, um, mm -hmm. a lot of the companies were that were kind of pushing for higher quality and kind of uh, chasing the specialty coffee uh, dream kind of a mm -hmm. setup. Um, they were idealists, you know. They started the company because they loved coffee, right? Uh, and really, like, really did what uh, we everyone wanted to do. Like, uh, mm -hmm. we looked for better coffee and paid better prices and so on. And then I think um, some of the bigger companies uh, picked up on this. Uh, they called trend and uh, wanted to tap in into that market. Uh, and uh, you see a lot of chains opening. You see a lot of uh, bigger roasteries. Uh, launching brands that are kind of more niche mm -hmm. just copies of you know uh, independent uh, <laughs> marketing uh, lines and then you saw a lot of uh, new roasters opening up and i mean a lot especially in europe like when i opened my roastery here in norway i think there were less than 20 roasteries wow and that's in 2007 and now there is more than 80 or 90 roasteries in norway wow. so um, and norway is a small country it's tiny <laughs> Yeah, oh, wow. and we see also in Europe, like uh, I remember, especially when we were in the world of coffee in Vienna, I think it was 2013. Uh, I That year, I met so many people who said they were starting a roastery. And uh, uh, we had also, I was I was part of opening uh, or funding a company called, founding a company called Nordic Approach, which was a green yep. coffee importer. And that was just like 2012 or something. Mm -hmm. And there was like a boom in uh, in roasters during that period. Uh, and everyone wanted to buy good coffee and, you know. And uh, of course, you get the saturation in the market. So mm -hmm. um, I remember seeing a video a couple of years ago from Maxwell Colonna Dashwood. He was mm -hmm. talking about the race to the bottom in the UK where mm -hmm. there was just too many roasteries who opened at the same time trying to get the same type of customers. 
and the only way they could compete, they thought, <laughs> was to lower the prices on the products because uh, yeah, they had to fund machines and uh, give machines to the customers and all these kind of things. So then it becomes a race to the bottom, he, mm-hmm. he said. And I, I, I do see that that's happening, not just in Norway, but elsewhere as well. But people are trying to compete with lower prices. Mm-hmm. And um, for small companies, that's just not possible. If you try to do that, you know, then you're, you're using the wrong uh, strategy because mm-hmm. you cannot compete on price with the bigger companies. There's always a bigger so fish coming. you have to coming. differentiate yourself. Yeah, exactly. So you have to differentiate yourself uh, by doing higher quality uh, or better service or, you know, something else. Uh, but this, that's difficult and it's difficult to grow uh, when you do that. It's difficult to grow fast. So I think a lot of people, we're already seeing that uh, some people are, you know, giving up. <laughs> mm. um, some companies are going bankrupt and other companies are being bought by bigger ones. So you do see a consolidation in the market. And this happened in the beer industry as well. Uh, we saw in Norway, at least uh, maybe 10 years ago, a lot of microbreweries opening. Mm-hmm. And now most of them are gone. You know, there are wow. still some strong ones back, but uh, most of the small ones are gone. We we so, talk um, a lot. I, Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I'm, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm, there's a, of course, always when uh, things change, there's always because of many, many other things that uh, evolves and we do see you know in other countries and regions like the middle east for instance you mm-hmm. know 10 years ago there was barely no uh, coffee shops there uh, or independent ones now there's you know hundreds i hear i haven't been there myself but um, so many <laughs> i do see it as a growing market yeah yeah it's a it's a growing market that is has some of the most beautiful cafes i've ever seen in the world anyway hmm the issue is a lot of them are empty trend now. Yeah, <laughs> I do see a trend now that a lot of people who start coffee businesses today do it mainly because of the business, not necessarily because they are uh, idealistically in love with coffee. And uh, I am a little bit surprised by that because having run coffee company, a co- coffee company for a long time, and also a coffee chain before. It's really, really hard work for very little. <laughs> can you talk so, about um, that a little bit? Compa- can you can you talk about how, like, like how <laughs> people come into this? I, I consult a lot, and I consult. Uh, I spend a lot of my time trying to convince people not to open cafes and not open roasteries. A lot of the time, people come in thinking there's going to be base minimum thirty to fifty percent net profit in this industry. <laughs> I know it's a joke, yeah. right? Good Isn't luck. that funny? <laughs> I think it's hilarious. And yeah. and when I tell people the reality of what they should be expecting is more like 3% net profit, they don't think it's possible that there could be this many people wanting to open businesses in an industry yeah. where the net profit is so little. I mean, yeah. you're experienced at, at this for a very long time. Can you help people understand how little money there is actually in this? Yeah, I think uh, a very good example is that I am now partner in a coffee shop in the north of Norway. An mm-hmm. ex-employee of ours opened a coffee shop there. And uh, I helped her make a business plan and everything. Uh, 
it's in a small city, so we needed to make it like a coffee shop and a wine bar, so that you know you could uh, mm-hmm. take advantage of more hours in the in the store. And for the first one and a half year, she was losing so much money. You know, mm-hmm. she was literally paying almost uh, how much was it? A- Eighty thousand euros for the fir- first year to to be able to go to work. You know, <laughs> so. Um, uh, we managed to change it now, so she's breaking even or, or barely making money. Uh, but it takes so much time to make up what you've lost. And um, but the reality is that she has to work, you know, double shifts almost every day uh, in order to make ends meet. Uh, because at least here in Norway, labor cost is really expensive. So <laughs> if you just have one person too many doing work and there's no customers, you're you're basically screwed. The problem with the coffee shop is that you need to be open in the morning, you need to be open for lunch, you need to be open in the afternoon, and there's a lot of dead time in between there where mm-hmm. uh, there's no customers, And but you still need to have people at work because you can't just ask them to leave for three hours and then come back, you know, that's not how it works here. No. So uh, it's really, really difficult. I have, ne- I have yet to see uh, an independent coffee shop doing really well in Norway uh, without the owner being completely involved you know working <laughs> unhealthy hours um and also it goes for the chains there's uh, only a few of the chains here in Nor- in norway and one of them is coffee Brenneria. they have 50 stores now they have been make able to make money for a long time and because they have been very very good at operating the business but uh most of the chains are either losing a little bit of money every year or breaking even and uh you know imagine having you know 200 uh, employees or 100 employees and you're losing money like it's it's not a good thing that it's a lot of work for nothing to say yeah. the least. we had George and just to compare the... go ahead please. yeah sorry just to give you yeah i had an example there was a, a music festival here in oslo a few years back and uh some friends of mine had like a coffee a cart there mm-hmm. Uh, two pe- two people working all day, and they sold the uh, coffee for around fifteen hundred euros in one day. <laughs> wow. And they were working hard the whole day, you know, making coffee. And then next door was another cart where they sold beer. There was one person there, and he sold beer for fifteen thousand euros in one day. <laughs> one person. Wow. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, you know, there is a little bit of difference in um, in. Uh, there's a lot of work when you have to make a cup of coffee and yeah the margins look great but uh, you have to sell a lot of cups cups of coffee in order to pay just the rent the the lease on the machine the the labor so uh it's really when you start looking at it if you only sell coffee drinks uh, it's not profitable at all you need to sell food you need to sell coffee beans you need to sell other things and that's sometimes hard to do as well we had George Howell on the podcast uh, around this same time last year and, you know, we were talking about the cafe business model and is and this particularly for specialty coffee and if it makes money. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, we've got the, the cafes are full all the time. And I said, but what about profit, George? And he went, oh, well, we all know there's no profit in coffee. So, yeah. so this success fallacy that people have that just because a cafe is exceptionally busy that it is making money, it's generating a lot of revenue. A lot of cafes do generate a lot of revenue, but that doesn't equate. It's so expensive to run these businesses that it doesn't equate to profit very often at all. 
tell me at the beginning of specialty coffee did it was it like this in your in your opinion uh, very much so <laughs> Friends, World of Coffee Dubai is back in 2024 and I am proud to announce that the Daily Coffee Pro by Mapper Forward will be the official podcast partner for World of Coffee Dubai for the second year in a row. The Roasters Village will be a one-of-a-kind destination for all things coffee. As an exhibitor, introduce your artisanal roasts to an international audience and gain valuable insights from their perspective. Visitors, immerse your in the celebratory coffee culture experience by sampling exclusive cups poured with passion from cafes worldwide and absorb insights that will elevate your own appreciation of all things coffee. Whether you brew coffee or just love savoring a fine cup, this event gathers the global coffee community under one roof in an amazing city. Join us at World of Coffee Dubai in 2024 at Dubai World Trade Center from the 21st until the 23rd of January. Tickets are available at dubai.worldofcoffee.org or you can contact us on social media for any questions that you might have at mapforward.coffee. Get your tickets now, folks. Come see the podcast being recorded live and we hope to see you in January in Dubai for World of coffee yeah uh, my first job was at stocklets uh which so i ran one store for stocklets which was a coffee chain and i managed to make that store profitable um but uh i i was working you know more than uh 100 full time right but i only got paid for 100 and uh i was really on top of everything all the time like we we threw away very little food after closing hours uh and uh, yeah, so and so we we managed to make a little bit of profit, but it wasn't a lot. And uh, I also learned that uh, when the owner was the roastery, uh, even if the store broke even, they still made money on the coffee they sold to the store. So mm. if you have that kind of model, you can yep. kind of make it makes a little bit more sense. But if you just open a random coffee store and you buy coffee from whoever roaster, uh, it's really difficult. And the reason why my store is making money at the moment, and uh, there's periods where we don't make money at all, like mm -hmm. for instance, January through March, there's very little guests in the store. But the only reason why we survive is because we sell a lot of bags of beans. <laughs> so, um, Retail. you know, we can, we can, um, during one busy day, you know, we can sell uh, maybe 40, 50 kilos of, of beans. Wow. In quarter kilo bags. So 200 bags. But uh, we might only sell like 150 coffees on a busy day. And, uh, but to make the coffees, you need at least three shifts to, to handle 150 coffees yeah. throughout the day. But to sell beans, you need just one person. Because mm. <laughs> it's easy. And a good so, e-commerce um, store, I guess. Yeah, but that's separate. So yep. uh, I keep that separate. But uh, yeah. Yeah, wow. That's also a way you can sell more beans. Do you What role do you think that the producer is, if any, is playing in this shift in the idea of specialty coffee. Do you think that the producer and the relationship that seems to be happening between the roaster and the producer is causing a shift in specialty coffee? Um, that's a really difficult question. Uh, I think until now the producer has kind of been 
on the mercy of the roasters. And to to a great extent, I still think it is. Like if you go to Colombia, for instance, there's over half a million producers there. Mm-hmm. And very few of them are kind of rich producers who mm-hmm. have the money to market themselves and, you know, be able to find market and charge higher prices. So most of them rely on the market prices, which is dictated by the commodity buyers, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I would say that still uh, the producers have very little influence on what's going on in, in the consuming countries, unfortunately. And uh, uh, you see that all the time because you see buyers going to Colombia, for instance, just you know, cherry picking coffees and uh, dictating the price more or less because whatever is higher than market price, the farmer will be happy you know? uh, yeah. because they don't understand the value of their products, uh, unfortunately. So uh, these are the mechanics that I, I hope will change in the future, but it's going to take a long time because, again, most coffee producers don't understand the value of their products. They don't cup their own coffee. Um, they don't have any incentives to produce higher quality. So a lot of times they just try to produce it as cheap as possible to get cash in their hands as fast as possible. So the cherry, get it, put it on somebody else yeah. to, to take it further. You know, it, I often think about the role that um, co-fermented coffees and the, 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 this idea of producers catering to what the market wants and how that's influencing what we're calling specialty coffee these days. <laughs> It's a very strange, having been, you and I started around the same time, seeing where it came from to where it's come. I'm very confused yeah. by where, seeing where it came from to where it's where it now is, I'm very confused mm. by where it's going to go from here. Is, is Because a lot of people like these coffees. Yeah, I, I still believe that... Um this kind of crazy fermented coffees is kind of a flavor of the month, we call it. Okay. <laughs> I mean, when I started in coffee, the the big thing was putting uh, flavored syrups into coffees. So hazelnut syrup, strawberry syrup, all these kind of things. We even sold the coffee that was flavored on the beans. So the, the beans were flavored. Yeah. And that was a big, probably still is a big thing in the U.S., yeah, uh, these two things have completely dis- disappeared from the market in Norway, uh, mm-hmm. except from Starbucks. They still have it, but uh, um, and I, I think uh, also these crazy fermented coffees is a little bit the same because it's not very pleasant to drink a lot of, even if you're really into that kind of coffees. You know, it's more like uh, tasting it out of interest. So uh, I think uh, again, looking a little bit to beer. Uh, when you fall in love with beer, you normally fall in love with the IPAs. And then you drink a lot of IPAs and you get a little bit tired of IPAs. And then you fall back to more subtle beers like Pilsners and Lagers. And, mm-hmm. and good quality Pilsners and Lagers can be exceptional, you know. But um, mm-hmm. <laughs> And they're difficult to make. But um, I, I'm not very worried about uh, these crazy ferment things. And I also believe that uh, a lot of it is uh, hard to replicate. Um and also difficult for smallholder producers to to do consistently without proper training and equipment. So, um, and also a huge risk, you know, for them. Big uh, time. The majority of the market don't want this coffee. So, if you have a crazy coffee like that, there might be a specialty roaster who is willing to pay ten dollars per pound. But if there is none, uh, the producer will get much lower than market price because in the commodity market, these coffees are seen as defects. defects. So 
they yeah. will not be sold for a very good price. Which takes us to what we're going to talk about in the next episode, uh, which what does this shift mean for the producers? Because there is, as, as this idea of specialty coffee starts to shift and as a lot of these layers that we talked about in the beginning of this episode start to have more forces on them, particularly from an economic perspective, the ripple effect is always going to end up back down through the supply chain. So join us for the next episode, folks, where we talk about this. Peace, love, and peanut butter. Have an amazing rest of your day. Thanks for tuning in, friends. There are two ways you can support this podcast. Firstly, become a paid member of our YouTube channel. Secondly, you can join our Patreon for as little as $3 a month. Both have options for exclusive ad-free content and early release content. Don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. The Daily Coffee Pro is produced by Map It Forward and the music you're listening to is called Run 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 off of my album Laundry After Midnight. To get older episodes of this podcast, as well as more information on Map It Forward, head to mapitforward.coffee. You can find links and more information in the show notes below.